Hello and welcome to Season 2, Episode 38 of Logicast, the AWS News Podcast brought to you by Logicata. I'm Carl Robinson, CEO and co-founder of Logicata, and I'm joined, as always, by my colleague, John Goodall. How are you doing today, John? I'm still ill. Uh, you've been, uh, yes, yeah. I, su I suppose that's news to the viewers, but it's not news to me because no. uh, you have been been labouring that point for some time now. But, I've got uh, pneumonia. In case, in, in case you missed it, guys, John is ill. He shouldn't really be working, actually. He's, he's probably, uh, yeah. Well, I the doctor did careful. offer to sign me off, yeah. so. I should be careful as your employer. Perhaps you should not be. But this isn't really proper work, is it? So, uh, you know, you, you, you love this. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we're also joined today by a special guest uh, from the AWS community, Andres Moreno. Um, so, Andres, you're from across the pond. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I live in Texas, El Paso, Texas, um, AWS community builder. I work for Tyler Technologies as a principal engineer. Uh, been for this working with this company for nine years now. Uh, for the past four or five years, I've been mostly focused on the cloud and AWS with a special focus on serverless. Uh, so building a lot of new applications with serverless tech and all the beauties of what I need to not worry about uh, because of serverless. <laughs> so your employees must be. Uh... Your employers must be doing something right because nine years is quite a good tenure in this day and age. Uh, engineers are quite well known for job hopping in this space. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's it's good culture. Um, made a lot of good friends and there's constant growth and good opportunities. As you can see, there's I've had the opportunity to really innovate and just get into new stuff and research and try new things out, work them out in production and and play around a lot so, which is a lot of fun which is why a lot of people i think move is they get stuck right with the, what they built and maybe the tech stack is moving or not not the tech stack but the world is moving but the tech stack stays the same and that's what you're maintaining yeah. so having the opportunity to really move and and work with new things new toys is what i say um really keeps me happy <laughs> great and uh is it you're true what they <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, I'm sure you're going to be coming back to me on some of these points, John. <laughs> he said, he said, uh, <laughs> uh, so is, is it true, Andres, that uh, everything is bigger in Texas? Yes, yes. I mean, just to cross the state, it's, uh, I drive often to Dallas, from Dallas to Texas, and it's from Dallas to El Paso, and it's all within Texas, and that's a 10-hour drive. I uh, once drove from Dallas to New Orleans, and that's a seven-hour drive, but it was six hours just Texas. That's to the other side. So you got that, and then everything is so extra on the food, right? So you're going to get big. If you go to a barbecue, you're going to get a lot of brisket, and it's just all massive. <laughs> Nice. I have been to Texas. I've been to Austin um, many nice. years ago for for a big conference there, but that is my only experience of Texas. So uh, I'd like to come and uh, experience it a little bit more at some point. But uh, yeah, anyway, we're, we're we're not here to talk about uh, Texas and uh, the size of things in Texas. Um, as you know, if you're a regular listener to the podcast, um, we are here to talk about AWS news. Um, so once a week, um, I collect a uh, list of AWS news in my weekly AWS roundup newsletter. And then John and I pick a subset of those articles that we would like to talk in a little bit more detail about in the podcast. So we have such a selection of articles, which John, uh, myself and Andres have read over the weekend. And the first of those um, 
uh, is about a new uh, AWS certification exam. So uh, you may or may not have seen that AWS uh, are launching a new AWS Certified Data Engineer Associate level exam. Um, and the beta for that exam, or the beta, depending on where you come from in the world. Uh, so uh, the, uh, the the beta for that exam uh, is launching um, later this month on the 27th of November. So um, I'm not quite sure what that means for the gold jacket wearers of the world, if they're going to have to take another uh, exam to maintain their, their gold jacket status. Um, but uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts on this one, John? I don't know that they take the jacket away once you've earned it. Yeah, that I don't would know. Be really it, nasty. That, do, you, do you get to keep it for life? I don't know. Well, you've got to do all the exams, and you've got to work for a partner, and be in at reInvent to go to the ambassador conference, and you've got to be an ambassador and kind of all the rest of it. It really might neat. change the color automatically to yeah. silver, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, certainly people aspiring to the jacket as i know you you do like it carl um would have to take a different exam and i say different because it's not an extra i didn't realize this previously but what they're doing is they're replacing the specialty for data analytics with the associate for data analytics and presumably that means one of the pro exams or there'll be another pro exam will come along for data analytics and the idea being that they're trying to map a bit more closely to the real world because cloud data engineering is a thing now wasn't really three, four, five years ago. It is now much more. So that's kind of, I think, the driver behind this. It's not a bad thing because associate exams are cheaper, barring the fact that it's discounted at the minute because it's a beta exam, but they're just cheaper anyway. So that's no bad thing. Um, so that's quite nice. Um, and the content is similar, but like the weightings are a little bit different and that kind of thing. So it's, it's more reflective of what an actual cloud data engineer would do i think than the big data specialty exam which was a bit kind of knee jerky for oh big data let's do something so is this one you've uh, studied for andres do you have the data specialty i by no means am a data engineer or <laughs> in that sense uh, i do think it's awesome to see that they're moving more towards real roles in the industry right to get certified for your role uh as someone that interviews people and then you're trying to look for people in the specific area it really helps that it's a more focused um certification that you're getting now not just the broader sense where like the maybe we'll get the serverless engineer uh <laughs> certification soon but as part of that for me the only certification i aspire for is the solutions architect right I'm not, a, like I said, I'm not a data engineer, AI, ML, so, right? So, and solutions architect is very broad, right? But I'm more focused on serverless. So it would be nice to see these more focused uh, certifications come along. So you're not, uh, you're not aspiring to the gold jacket yourself? I'm, I would love it, but <laughs> yeah, I don't think I'll, I'll, I'll get to that. Uh, there's so many certifications and, um, again very broad and my my focus is very foc my focus is focused right it's not yeah, broad. Yeah. i don't, yeah, I honestly don't know how people do it and hold down a job not at the same having time. a life uh, yeah because <laughs> how many certifications are there right now 12, 12, 13. yeah 12 just 12. studying for one takes months and yeah. you've got to be 
or you're very good at just reading something or looking at something and just remembering it forever. But I'm not that person. I need to practice. Well, there's it. definitely a bit of a trick to it. There's definitely a bit of a trick because as you go up, not the specialties, but the pros renew the associates beneath them. So if you do DevOps Pro, your SysOps associate and your Dev associate and your Cloud Practitioner will renew. So it's there's some trickery involved a little bit. You're not doing all of them in three years. You're You've got to do all the specialties in a three-year period and then make sure you've renewed your pro ones recently. And then I think you kind of get away with it. So there's a strategy. Okay, I don't know. If I just take them as you wanted to. <laughs> I bet somebody's written a blog post about the strategy as well. It's the kind of thing that we're bound to find yeah. on uh, Dev.2 written by a, a hero or a, or another community builder. Um, but uh, now it's great to see, as you say, some more focused exams coming. But I think it's safe to say probably none of us um, on this uh, podcast are going to be taking this one. I don't know. It's on my list. It's on my list. It's on your I list, keep... is it? Yeah. Kind of, yeah. I mean, I'm going to cheese the SysOps one because I did DevOps Pro so i can probably just pass it um <laughs> but i don't know every so often i look at data management data analytics and think oh, it looks interesting and data data devops is a thing and cloud data so it's i don't know i might you know if i lose some personality well watch this space i look forward to uh, you telling us you've achieved the uh, the, the uh, aws certified data engineer associate exam john um, so let's move on then to the next of our articles for this week. And this is an article from the AWS Cloud Operations and Migrations blog. And the title is Lowering MTTR with Amazon CloudWatch and AWS X-Ray. Uh, MTTR, of course, mean time to recovery. This is an article all about how you can use uh, CloudWatch um, service lens and X-Ray to monitor your microservices-based applications. So... Who would like to go first on this one? This is the Spider-Man point thing. Just yeah. point to each other. <laughs> I, can, I can go at it. It's it's something I've been looking into a lot more lately, right? Observability. Um, we all, I mean, in our space, it's like, ah, oh, let's do serverless. And then you start finding the gaps and it falls more on you, right? So I got a lot into the DevOps space, uh, but now my big, and security as well. And now my big gap is observability. So I've been looking a lot into these things. And I, I like people and services simplifying how we do observability. I think there's still a big gap in X-Ray and and CloudWatch, right? It has all it has all the information, right? Because it's we're using AWS services, so it's all there. Um, it's very easy to capture, right? Like capture the X-Ray traces and all that. Um, for me, it's just usually a boolean in my infrastructure's code, and it's like now it's captured. But how to consume these things is where I struggle. And I still struggle a lot in the CloudWatch um, console. So getting these sort of tools like the service lens and being able to group things and all your traces really helps a lot. Um, I still think there are external services that are really working towards simplifying my life. And a big one I've seen is like Baseline, where it just does everything out of the box. It's like, just shows me what I need to know really quick. Here, it still involves a little bit of knowledge on what all the terms are and what all the things are in observability where where I'm at, it's I need something that works quick and gives me the information I need quickly. So I see AWS moving more toward this, but it's still all over the place, right? I can get a Lambda response time and there are errors, but it's separate from the DynamoDB ones and it's separate from my step function one. 
And just consolidating those errors takes effort on my end instead of just being there. That's definitely a theme with AWS native tools generally. I've done not this, but this with another tool. I think it was Lumigo, I think it was, but you know, yeah. there's thousands out there. And that was great. And in terms of getting traces and things, you it would consume X-ray traces, brilliant. And you co you instrumented your code with Python at the time, so you just put a decorator on it so that it knew when things were firing and it could kind of read where things were going and you get this really lovely service map of it was talking to this and it was talking to that and your bottleneck's here and this is your error and here's your logs and so on. So yeah, it's, it's definitely thematic that there's external tools that do the same thing but better. And AWS, to their credit, have improved X-Ray and CloudWatch and a number of their observability tools time and time and time again. We've given them quite a lot of credit for this because historically we've given them on this podcast quite a lot of stick for them being awful. So they've made them incrementally better. And it's, it's, it's a good thing. It is. It's nice that you can do it all kind of in one place as opposed to having to go and pay for a third party tool. Because that's, that's, I think, a key thing is particularly when you get to the, oh, I don't know what the word is, the, the corporate level, the, the enormous organization level where you have to worry about vendor management and selection and all the rest of it. You don't want to have to onboard another vendor for just one piece of tooling when you've already had to go through that legwork to onboard AWS in the first place. That That's something that happens a lot to me, right? Uh, Tyler Technologies is a big organization thousands of employees all over the country, the US. Uh, and we operate in the GovCloud, right? So things like Lumigo or Baselime or other logging tools, we can't immediately use because, well, the stacks they, they deploy into your account to be able to throw the information to their cloud. First, we have the PII and all the security things you need to take care of they can't deploy their resources to my cloud, right? To the gov cloud. So there's that gap that you find with bigger corporations and more so ones that operate not in the commercial cloud, uh, where having these things live natively with AWS, even though I don't get all the functionality I, you can get from the commercial cloud, it's still there, right? And it's already running in the protected data centers for what I need to be compliant. So that's super helpful. I've heard that the official line actually from AWS on GovCloud is don't use it unless you really have to, which is fun. And But as a developer, it's very complicated for compliance reasons to then have to analyze, okay, this, this piece of information touched this server over here. And now you have to keep that. And for me, it's an easier decision. So let's just run everything in the GovCloud and we're, we're kind of protected there. The shared responsibility goes all mostly to AWS on my compliance needs. <laughs> I guess one way around the the uh, new vendor selection piece is to use um, products that are in the marketplace. It's not really what we're talking about here with this article, but uh, yeah, just something that <laughs> sprung to mind when you said that about vendor selection, John. As if they're in the marketplace, then it just goes on the AWS bill. So um, that's know. a lot more applicable for things that you deploy to a server, though. I think, and this is this is not that, but it's an interesting point. Mm. Yeah. So, did you have anything specifically to say about the uh, CloudWatch and? Uh, CloudWatch Service Lens and X-Ray? Uh, I think we've covered it beyond the fact that they could do with some better colors on their graphs. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah, they, they do look a bit bland. Um, but I, I quite like the uh, the service maps, so the, those look quite neat, um, definitely. So um, cool. So let's skip on to the next article then, uh, which is about um, 
Graviton 3, uh, and specifically RDS running on Graviton 3. So this is an article on the AWS database blog, and the title is Powering Amazon RDS with Graviton 3 Benchmarks. Um, and the article goes on to explain how you can benchmark database performance um, on RDS running on Graviton 2 CPUs and RDS running on Graviton 3 CPUs. Um, so, uh, of course, uh, as we go up through the generations, AWS are claiming better price performance, uh, as they always do um, when, when they launch these new chips. Um, so uh, I guess we need some ways to prove that. Um, and uh, I think this article goes on to give us uh, some ways that we can prove this specifically in relation to RDS. So um, any experience yet, guys, running Graviton 3 workloads? What servers are running Graviton 3 now? Because I know we've just done some work moving a customer database to Graviton, but I don't think it was 3. I think it was still two. I mean, the point uh, so, with RDS realistically is you don't see the difference. You see the performance, but the fact is this chip or that chip is irrelevant because it's a managed service. I mean, the whole benchmarking it thing is, yes, it's important for AWS to show their work. This is important, right? It's the whole uh, consumer tech has this problem where you've got reviewers that are not showing how they're benchmarking things and saying, oh, this is better than that. How, prove it. Show me you're working. Let me reproduce it because scientific method and all the rest of it. I'm not pretending that we're going to get a PhD in this, but it's important to show you working and say that, no, look, these numbers are reproducible. Here's our method. We've done it in the open. Here's how it works. But for 99% of people, don't bother just use the new one. Yeah, I, I get a sense there's might be a lot of skepticism from people, is, is it really cheaper? I mean, and again, large corporations, it's always the question. It's like, are they trying to take more of my money? Uh, so th this helps, right? And it's it's showing, and I think it's always AWS's promise. And I think the promise is they'll lower your price, but, and push you to that, right? I'm assuming Graviton 3 for them is a, is a lot cheaper to run. So even while they lower our price, it's still, they're still making more money. Um, so I think it's a kind of help me help you situation, right? It's like, if you use this, it's going to be cheaper for you, but it's also cheaper for me, uh, to run these things. And I don't think it was directly cheaper. And maybe that's why this has come out because historically, yes, one generation to the next has just been cheaper. So they go better price to performance because it costs less and performs the same. But there was a bit of a, a for all, that's the word I'm looking for. Um, about how some new servers, and it might not be this, but it might be the EC2 Graviton 3s, actually cost more to run per hour. They were more expensive, and they were still touting it as better price to performance because the performance was significantly better and the price was a little bit higher. So it's not immediately cheaper, but it is still better. And I suppose that's what's driving this sort of document. Yeah, I mean, the performance uh, on, on these benchmarked instances is significantly better on the uh, the graviton too i'm just looking at the graphs now and it, it looks like it's kind of 30 30 to 40 percent better um on the queries per second metric and maybe yeah probably about the same on the on the latency metric um i'm not sure on the price because i'm not sure if this article does compare the in fact it does yes it does it has the so, price per hour right yeah so so the um i'm just trying to work this out uh yeah so the graviton 3 is actually a little more expensive um 
So to John's point, um, that's true. You know, they're, they're not necessarily saying that uh, you know the next generation is cheaper. Therefore, in this instance, they do kind of need to prove the whole price performance thing because, um, yeah, it looks like it's not it's not massively more expensive, um, but uh, there's definitely a, a, an uplift on the price between these M6G X Large and M7G uh, X Large instances. Um, I'm surprised so, you didn't look at the queries per dollar graph because that's brilliant. Oh, that's the next one down. Yeah. So uh, there we go. Yeah. 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 I didn't get that far. <laughs> it's interesting that MariaDB in, in every metric has the most significant uplift. Because if you look at MariaDB compared with MySQL, okay, yes, they've diverged and they have a little while ago, but they're relatively similar DBMSs. Postgres is rather different entirely, and that gets an uplift, but it's nowhere near as significant. But yeah, queries per dollar. It will cost you one buck to run 70,000 queries. <laughs> yeah. No, the queries per dollar metric is a good one. I should have kept scrolling. Should have kept scrolling. I don't know where I stopped. I, th I think I just stopped at the queries per second graph and thought, that looks good. Um, but uh, yes, served me right. I should read to the end of these articles. Um, so uh, on that bombshell, let's skip on to the next uh, article. Um, and uh, this is an interesting one, um, which is on uh, the Dev.2 um, site from AWS hero, Alan Helton. And uh, Andrew, as you mentioned um, in the in the preamble before we started the recording, that you know Alan pretty well. You've worked, worked with Alan in the past. Yeah, we worked together for around eight years, and we're still good friends and one of my best friends for sure. So um we were we would talk about when he was writing this article he would bring up the the whole story around what he was hitting the the roadblocks or the obstacles because he got it working right so no no major roadblocks but a few obstacles with this article uh while he was building it so let's introduce the article this is a uh, the article is entitled how i used amazon bedrock to write schedule and post my tweets so we've spoken a lot um on the podcast before about uh, bedrock artificial intelligence generative ai etc um and that's all very well but you know sometimes it's hard to understand what the real world use cases are um so the reason i picked this article um for the newsletter is because it is a, is a real world use case and one that i'm sure many of us can relate to um so uh, Alan has basically uh, written a whole bunch of automation to write, schedule and post tweets about content that he has written. So it's kind of automatically promoting the blog content that uh, that he's written. And I thought, this is great because I could use this. And then I started reading it and I thought, wow, it's pretty complicated. <laughs> uh, maybe you guys didn't think so because you, you guys are more on the engineering side of things than me. But uh, I started reading it and thought, oh maybe i won't be doing this anytime soon i was just because, disappointed uh, yeah. that it was just social media tweets that it was doing i, I wanted that full train of thought shit posting tweets from ben. Uh, <laughs> i'm sure you could train it to do that absolutely yeah. train it to do that but, uh, you can take it that's the cool thing about the community you can take what he did and modify it to your own needs <laughs> but yeah it's pretty interesting to see again this is where I really look up to Alan. He has very great ideas and he he writes at the beginning of it. It's like, I do these things because I'm lazy. Uh, so it's how the lazy mind can be very creative to automate your life. Um, and this is one of the big ones, right? If you see the history of what he's done with the social posting or just his articles, he's automated a lot of things around that, uh, just the cross postings and all that. So this latest thing is like, I always struggle uh, to remember 
to keep posting and to drive engagement for my article. So it's just literally he writes a post, triggers something that then goes and uses Amazon Bedrock as a generation tool uh, for his tweets. Um, the surprising part of this, and I believe he mentions it in the post, the part he struggled with the most is actually posting the tweet using Twitter's APIs to post the tweet. That's what he struggled with the most. The authentication pieces are a little bit complex there, but how you can tie all these things together and then introduce your um, Amazon Bedrock or your generative AI tool of choice uh, to solve a real world problem. I don't know if you would call it a problem, but <laughs> a real world problem situation um, and apply it to your life, right? And this is, hopefully it makes people think about more situations where they can use these types of things uh, for their day-to-day -day, um, lives. It is a bit of a specific use case. I mean, <laughs> it's. I, I did like the one he done. It's not this article, but the one he done about um, engagement tracking across everything. Because, you know, as a community builder, we get access to Dev Two, and then your employer will have a blog, and then you might have your own one. And yes, you cross post them. And I've been published, I think, on Free Code Camp once. And it's like all the way you get your data is just different everywhere. And if you're using it to drive traffic rather than just screaming into the void because a lot of us sort of dev types just kind of scream into the void occasionally with the idea that oh i've got a link i can put that on my cv or on my resume depending on where you are and then i can prove to recruitment folks that i know what i'm doing and that's kind of a lot of it but if you're doing it for a purpose to drive traffic or drive engagement or whatever then you need to be tracking that engagement and that's just different everywhere and then you also need to be promoting the content like with this article and it's just I mean, it's just a pain because even if you look at doing it semi-manually with something like um, a social media management tool, several are available, and I'm studiously avoiding using the term. Um, just say Hootsuite, John. <laughs> Others are available. Hootsuite was, was great when it was free. Now it's, <laughs> it's really anymore. expensive. So. <laughs> yeah, but others are available. But the point is, yes, that will manage it across a number of different platforms, but Again, that's not scheduling it for you. You've got to go in and do it. It's not writing it for you. You've got to do that. It's not tracking engagement. You've got to do that, and so on and so on and so on. So this feels very over-engineered, but very, <laughs> very cool. Yeah, I mean, and I'm pretty sure these platforms will soon. I don't know if they'll get into creating content for you. That seems... And he expresses that at the end of the article, right? There's going to be mixed feelings around this. Um, and my thought is, as long as the content it's based on is original, right? Don't don't automate your blog post because that's your value, right? That's what we that's the value we get out of you and you as a person, as a hero, as a builder. Uh, but getting a summary and trying to get traffic through it, I think, is awesome. Um, yeah, I I'm think it's sure great. He's getting some I'm pretty sure he's getting some some negative comments somewhere <laughs> around it. Yeah. But this is a challenge we all have, you know, as community builders. I mean, we have this exact challenge with with the podcast, you know, because we record the podcast on a regular basis. We try to push it out there through as many channels as possible. Then, of course, because we push it out through as many channels as possible, getting the engagement data that John spoke about is a nightmare because you've got to get some from here, some from there. You've got to amalgamate it all just to get, you know, overall number of listens and views and everything else. So, um, you know, I admire people. platforms. <laughs> Uh, no, well, it depends uh, how you look at it. But yeah, um, 
and then the social media side of things, you know, pushing it out through LinkedIn and uh, Facebook and X, as it's now known, etc. It's uh, just a tweet. It's, it's actually, I don't know if you send an X or you send a, I don't know, a Twix or what, whatever Twix. it is. I don't know. But, yeah. <laughs> uh, do you guys have Twix in the US or is that chocolate reference lost on on you, Andres? No, Twix. There's Twix here. Okay. Well, that's globalization, isn't it? We've all got the same chocolate bars. Now, yeah. So. <laughs> it's my favorite. Yeah. Good. So, um, anyway, yeah, interesting, very interesting post. Um, I'd love, I wish I had his technical uh, capabilities so that I could automate all that stuff for me. Um, but, uh, John, maybe I'll create a Jira and get you to do it. Um, so, uh, <laughs> moving swiftly on to our final article of the, uh, the this week. Um, and it is our friends, um, at, uh, L Reg, the register, not one of their better headlines. Um, do love a good L Reg headline. Um, but, uh, you know, this one is uh, relatively straightforward. Crypto jackers steal AWS credentials from GitHub in five minutes. So we've spoken about crypto jacking on the podcast before. Um, but, uh, maybe we can just do a, a quick definition of crypto jacking, um, for the listeners in case they haven't heard the previous episodes. And then let's talk a little bit about, uh, about what's happened here. I can do that. I'll do it real quick because my voice is going to give out. So crypto jacking is basically mining crypto where you didn't pay for it. That's the short version. You've stolen some credentials, usually for a cloud provider of some description. You've spun some resources up somewhere that the legitimate owner of that account doesn't know that you've done it. And you're mining crypto and they're paying for it. That's basically it. So tell tell us a bit about the uh, Electroleak um situation andres so this one is they they got into some github repositories got some keys and spun up a bunch of ec2 instances to mine some crypto <laughs> uh, it's one of my main fears uh when a little secret escapes into your source code and uh it i see time and time again people not protecting their their keys uh which makes them vulnerable to any type of these things even i mean you got the crypto specific ones but even a key for anything else they can just start using it and either throttle yourself or um spin up your 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 costs <laughs> that you have for your accounts um but yeah it's it's one of the scarier things that you can get from <laughs> uh, leaked credentials. And in this case, AWS, right? Because they just, they got a, a client ID in the secret and they just go crazy on it for what is it? Is it I can't remember the time span that they mentioned they, they did this for, but it was a while. It's kind of scary. Now, AWS are generally quite good at this. Once, if they detect that a cred's been leaked, then they will quarantine the cred and just block it from doing anything. So they are quite good, typically. Um, and secret scanning is, is called out in the article quite a lot, saying, you know, scan your source code for secrets, make sure you're not committing things. And I know, I mean, there's lots of tools available. I mean, I, I'm quite a fan of Sona Cloud, Sona Cube. That's quite good because I'll just go, you've got creds here, you've got creds there. Stop it, stop it, stop it. And it will do that before you've even committed to source code if you've used the linter, which is brilliant. What yep. worries me more is not this particularly, because this is just a case of of not knowing better, for argument's sake. What worries me a little bit more is 
uh, we haven't seen it yet, but we might, is to get things like GitHub Actions and GitLab Pipelines and all the rest of it to talk to AWS, you have to provide them with a way of logging in. And yes, okay, we now have OIDC, but there's going to be a large number of people that are just giving it a user and then putting those in their in um, GitHub, secrets. GitLab's secrets, secrets um, within the repo. I don't know how secure I trust that to be, if I'm really honest. OIDC is a bit better because you can kind of limit it a lot more and it's time limited and it's time sensitive and it only actually has access for the duration of the pipeline so they'd have to breach your pipeline to do anything and then you'd probably notice but for everything else it's just yeah this this worries me this has always worried me it's and even for pipelines or for your own use cases running on the terminal it's moving to even sso right temporary credentials um is way more it's super valuable because just think about it right we all use password man well i hope a lot of people use password managers uh and not just dump um notes in a notepad and and just keep your passwords there but that's what you're doing when you're using access keys from aws you're you have a credentials file with all your secrets um if somebody if you're getting to a phishing attack and they that's the first place I will look, right? If I if I was a hacker, like I don't need, I, I just need to get into your machine, and then I can get just get to that file. I got access to. If you're a major admin, I might get access to your production account, right? And I can do crazy things there, just maliciously. Yeah, um, so moving, we push quite hard as a, as an organization. We push quite hard on that. Um, and for the listeners and for yourself, Andres, if you're not familiar, there's a brilliant tool it's called Granted Granted Dev, and what it does is it will manage sso logins for you it on your mac it'll hook it into your keychain so it's reasonably secure and it will do the temporary access stuff for you it'll do role chaining if you need to go into one account and then assume an i am role in another account it'll do all that it's brilliant so everyone look that up granted.dev go and look at that end plug i don't get paid by them please sponsor me <laughs> yeah that's pretty cool right and, and in the pipelines as you mentioned is it's or IDC is better, right? Because you can limit it to a specific repository and even down to a branch. Or if you enforce branch naming, you can do the prefix and all that. But you very you scope uh, your blast radius for the keys, right? If you lose a key, it's going to be for that specific repository, not your whole organization. And it's for whatever timeout you have on the keys, right? Whatever expiration. So a lot more secure than just long live keys which if i go to the dashboard and i see a key it's usually a thousand days old and say like, yeah yeah should probably change that this is 400 days old it was used 300 days ago oh we need to keep that no you don't <laughs> Just, you, you don't know where it's used right <laughs> well i'm sure we could go on talking about this subject all day guys uh you guys are obviously very enthusiastic about this one but we've gone way over time for season two episode 38 of Logicast. So we're going to need to wrap up there. So thank you for listening. Uh, thank you, as always, John, for your insights. And thank you, Andres, for joining us on today's episode. Um, so thank that you for was, having me. You are very welcome. That was season two, episode 38 of Logicast. Um, you can download us wherever you download your podcast. You'll find us on YouTube. Don't forget to like and share. Uh, we will see you again for another episode next time. Cheers.